Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, college football fans, welcome to your week three edition of Fourth Quarter Chaos. My name is Matt Timonini. I am joined, as always, by Corey Cohen. Corey, this is the first time we're doing this with video. I'm not sure that you or I have faces for video. Maybe we should have stuck to the audio side only. But here we are to celebrate all of the craziness that happened during week three in the college football season. Yeah, this is a, a new frontier for both of us doing this live and on camera, but excited to talk about it. It wasn't the most chaotic week three of college football, but still some big games, still some some fun action that we're certainly excited to talk about here. Yeah, I mean, we came into the weekend, I think all of us thought, uh, there's not a lot of great games, nothing super exciting, nothing really interesting. Everybody was gearing up for week four, which has just banger after banger after banger, like seven huge historic games coming up this weekend. And we overlooked week three. We we kind of treated it like the redheaded stepchild. We didn't think it was gonna be all that great. And while there might not have been a super amount of chaos going on during week three, there were some really compelling games. And I think we learned a lot about teams that we thought might be great. Maybe they still are great, but they sure didn't look like it in week three. But what we do here on Fourth Quarter Chaos is is we take a look at 10 specific games from each week of college football. We run through the games, talk about them, talk about what was weird about them, what was crazy about them. And then at the end, we assign them what we call a chaos rating. And then at the end of the week, we run through all of them, we add them up, and we determine what the weekly chaos rating was for the week so that we can compare it to previous weeks. Week one had a chaos rating of 555 points, which we had to kind of amend because we recorded before Duke and Clemson, and that one was chaotic as hell. Then week two had a still kind of surprising 518. I'm not sure if this week is going to hit that number, Corey. But in terms of like entertainment value, I think it was a really entertaining weekend. And we cannot start anywhere uh, other than Colorado when we get into talking about uh, uh, entertainment for your college football buck. We started off with Colorado and Colorado State. Normally, we come to folks on Sunday with this podcast. But we had a few travel plans going on and one old man currently wearing a green shirt and a gray hat who is not capable of staying up late enough to do a podcast after a game that starts at 10 o'clock. So we apologize about that. Normally we come to you on Sundays, but we are coming to you on Tuesday evening now to talk about Colorado's 43 to 35 victory over Colorado State in double overtime. A lot of people assumed that uh, this one was going to be a blowout, especially after there was some trash talk going on between the two teams, Corey. But it ended up being a thrilling game. I dozed in and out of consciousness during it, admittedly. But uh, a really exciting game, some great performances, and a thrilling, it absolutely thrilling was. So this one had so much hype going into it because of Deion Sanders, center of the college football universe right now is in Boulder. And when they announced that game day was going there, the big noon kickoff was going there, 
I thought for a moment that's a little bit odd. This game isn't going to be particularly good or close. Boy, was I wrong. Because on one hand, you go into it with the comments from Jay Norvell talking about the hat and the sunglasses, taking that off when you talk to adults. Then that riles up Dion and the Colorado team. They start making a thing out of it. Everyone thinks now Colorado isn't just going to beat Colorado State, but they're going to obliterate them. And then the opposite happened. Colorado State came out hot. Uh, they they played, they had a really successful game plan. Jay Norvell, the head coach of the Rams, he's a really good head coach. They started out, they did a great job. And in the fourth quarter, at one point, they were up 28 to 17. And I was watching it and I thought, I think that's it. I think Colorado State is actually going to do this. Colorado didn't lose to TCU. They didn't lose to Nebraska, but they're going to lose to Colorado State. But then the Buffaloes come storming from behind. They kick a field goal. And then in the final seconds of regulation, Shador Sanders drives his team down the field, scores a touchdown with 36 seconds left on the clock. And still, they needed a two-point conversion just to tie it and send it into overtime. They managed to get that as well. Colorado, their backs were right up against the wall. Shador Sanders and their Sanders led them into overtime. In the first overtime, Colorado State, they go second. So Colorado gets a touchdown. They get the extra point. Then Colorado State goes. They get the touchdown. Now, for me, if I'm Colorado State, I would go for two there. Jay Norvell opted not to. He went more conservative, went for double overtime. I would have gone for the two-point conversion. You just try to win it right there. But they didn't. They sent it into double overtime. What what's your thinking there on why you go for two there? Just because you're on, uh, you know, you're in a rivalry game. You're the underdog. You want to take the chance to win. You have the opportunity. You know, is, is that what you're thinking? Yeah, for me, it's at that point you're playing with house money. You've got a chance to beat Colorado right then and there. You could end it that moment with one single play. I would go for it because especially. Anytime, and I know no team wants to think this way, but anytime there's a team with more talent or less talent, the conventional wisdom is the team with more talent is going to win out in the end, the longer that they go, in this case, that being Colorado. So if I'm Colorado State and I've got a chance to knock them out right there, I would do it. They opted not to. Jay Norvell made this a lot closer than I thought it was going to be, so far be it for me to question him. They go to double overtime, Colorado gets it, and then the Colorado defense steps up and ends any hopes of the Rams getting that big upset victory. Colorado wins 43-35 to on the back of Shador Sanders, who threw 47 passes, 38 of them were complete, just under 350 yards through the air, four touchdowns passing, just one interception. And uh, the only bad news in that game for Colorado is they lost Travis Hunter, who looks to be out for about three weeks with a lacerated lung, which just sounds painful to say it. So uh, hopefully that's that's not more than three weeks. Hopefully he's doing all right and he can come back because all of us want to see him on the football field. But Colorado escapes what was a way closer game than anyone thought it would be. Yeah, it it, it seems like no matter who they play, no matter what the odds are, Coach Prime and the Buffs are going to turn into an entertaining game no matter what. They could be the underdogs to TCU or they could be the favorites to Colorado State, and they are going to turn in a barn burner no matter what. Even though the game with Nebraska during week two wasn't exactly close, it was still entertaining. And that is something that you have to think is in the DNA of who Deion Sanders is, both as a player, as a human being, and as a coach. So it was... uh, 
really a, a tremendous game. And I do want to talk about Braden Fowler Nicolosi, who is the quarterback for Colorado State. He also had pretty impressive numbers. He also threw the ball 47 times. He completed 34 of them, only for uh, – oh, actually, he actually had more passing yards for 367. The only difference is instead of the four touchdowns and one interception that Shador Sanders had, he had three touchdowns and three interceptions. So when you look at the turnovers, the Buffs turned it over twice, the Rams turned it over four times, and that really spells the difference in this game. And it was an electric moment. We're going to get a lot more game day, big noon kickoff with Colorado throughout the season. And I mean, if they're going to, if they're going to keep turning in performances like this, Corey, I'm okay with that. They have to face USC and Oregon coming up here in the next couple of weeks you know, might pull the rugs out from underneath them with two of the best teams in the in the conference. But so far through the first quarter of the season, you have to be impressed with what Coach Prime has been able to do. Um, and I do want to point out, we're recording on Tuesday, because we're a little bit late, uh, Dion had his weekly press conference, and he spoke out against um, some of the hate and the death threats that Colorado State safety Henry Blackburn has gotten for delivering that hit on Travis Hunter that you mentioned. Um, Dion said that not only is he a great player, um, things happen in the moment and you get it ramped up. It doesn't matter. Um, at this point, he said that he forgave him. He wants everybody to kind of stop piling on him and his family because uh, they've gotten some pretty nasty comments since then. So a really classy move um, from Dion, who we think of as this big, boisterous guy who looks to kind of gin up a lot of excitement and controversy wherever he goes. But his entire thing has always been that he wants to do what's best for the players. And I think that he showed that that extends not only to his own players, but anybody in college football as well. So congratulations to him on that. But let me ask you something, Corey. Are you insulted that I've not taken my hat off to do this podcast? <laughs> I know that was the funniest thing, right? It was that Jay Norvell said that he was taught to take his hat off when speaking to adults. And yet every single press conference, it seems he was wearing a visor. So I did find the irony. <laughs> well, it's a, there's a difference. There's a yeah, difference, I guess, between a visor and a hat. <laughs> but okay, so let me just ask you this. You're, a, you're an ACC guy. You host the action-packed podcast here on the Fans First Sports Network College Football Feed. Dion, former Florida State Seminole. Jay Norvell, fired head coach of the Florida State Seminoles. Do you think that there's any FSU tension there? Do you think that there's something beyond that other than just the Colorado-Colorado State rivalry? There might have been. Now, I was glad to see afterwards you mentioned Dion and, and what he said in the postgame press conference on Tuesday. But even just immediately after the game, there seemed to be a really nice moment between Dion and Norvell just shaking hands right after. And you thought, oh, maybe this could get a little bit chippy. Dion, we saw the video of practice, him saying they made it personal and this could get a little heated. But I think right after the game ended, things went back to normal. They both respect each other and move on. Dion and Florida State's an odd thing because on one hand, it seems like a, a perfect combination, a great marriage. Obviously not right now. They've, they've got a head coach who's doing a really nice job. But... That, that does seem to be something that maybe in the future on paper you think would be ideal. But Dion does seem a little bit scorned when it comes to Florida State. And I'm not sure what exactly is going on there. If maybe he's upset that he didn't get that job earlier. I don't know what it is. But in terms of programs that Dion might go to after Colorado eventually, 
Florida State, you would think, would be at the top of the list. I don't know if it is. It's interesting because Dion has talked about the fact that he doesn't consider himself a Florida State alum. He he is a Florida State alum, however you want to, to, to slice it up. But he actually graduated from Talladega College, which is an HBCU that he did, I think, in 2023, like three years ago, um, that he finally went back and got his degree because he's Deion Sanders and he left early and made a crap ton of money in both the NFL and Major League Baseball, so he didn't have to. Um, but he talks about the fact that he is an HBCU alum, not a Florida State alum. So it is a little interesting how the relationship between him and Florida State and Florida State's most recent ex-head coach uh, plays out. But the game was exciting. So, Corey, tell me what your chaos rating was for this week's game. I am going to go with an 80 for Colorado, Colorado State. The fact that Colorado State nearly had the upset, they were this close, that's got to be a pretty high score. And anytime you've got Deion Sanders on the sideline, that's going to knock it up at least 5, 10 points because he just makes everything more entertaining. So I think in terms of chaos, entertainment, I'll give it an 80. The next game I want to talk about is one that you probably would not have guessed coming into the week, and that is the game between the Missouri Tigers and the Kansas State Wildcats. At this point, if you're a college football fan, you have almost certainly seen how this game ended, so I'm not going to necessarily talk a whole lot about what happened throughout the game. It was a game that went back and forth. The Nobody ever led by more than seven points, but everything comes down to the last few seconds, and what's crazy about this is Missouri has the ball. It's tied at 27. They have it um, on the plus 44 with six seconds left. They decide they want a little more yardage. So they, they try to do a short, quick out into the flat to try to pick up three or four yards. But a defensive lineman actually bats it down. And not only does he bat it down, he almost intercepts it. So Missouri, trying to pick up a little bit of yardage, almost throws the game away with six seconds left. Instead, it falls to the ground with three seconds. That means that they have a chance to kick a 61-yard field goal. Harrison Mevis comes out. They're calling him the thicker kicker or the thick kick um, with two Cs, of course. And he absolutely nails the field goal, Corey. He probably had enough leg to get it 65, maybe 70, depending on how, how, uh, how much more they needed. But that thing was true. The entire stadium erupts. They storm the field and celebrate. Is Missouri and Kansas State going to be like the highlight of the college football season? No, but Kansas State is a top 15, 20 team. They are somebody who is thought to at least be in the race for a Big 12 title. So to see Mizzou pull off that win, especially since my mother was born in Missouri. She was born in Columbia, Missouri, where Missouri is. Um I like to root for Mizzou a little bit there and uh, a thrilling victory. And not only one that is just fun because it's a walk-off 61 yard or a record setting kick, but anytime you got a big kicker, a Sebastian Janikowski sized kicker, that's fun. Especially if we can pull off a 61 yarder like that Corey. Absolutely. We're all about the big guys here, big kickers. You love a big man touchdown. Whenever you can uh, see a, a big man on the, the highest stage in college football, it's a blast. Missouri looks good. I mean, if, I, mm -hmm. if I'm doing a top 25 right now, Missouri is in it. They've started out well. They look like a solid team out there in the SEC West. I like how the Tigers are playing. 
Uh, Matt, I, I got to know from you, what would be your chaos rating for Missouri versus K-State? The game wasn't exactly chaotic until those last few seconds, but it was entertaining. Like I said, they went back and forth a lot. If you look at like the score breakdown, it often was Mizzou score, KSU score, Mizzou score, KSU score. Maybe you throw in a, a touchdown and then a field goal for KSU in the middle of the game back to back. But for the most part, it was it was a, a seesaw affair. It was really entertaining. Then you throw in the 61-yard kick at the end. And I think you've got to throw a little bit extra chaos points in because of how chaotic it was after the game with fans storming the field. So I'm going to go with a, a solid 64, I, I think. Not necessarily at the same level of Colorado, Colorado State, but a game that supplied a ton of entertainment and had as thrilling of an ending as you can possibly get without a touchdown being scored. So 64, I feel pretty good about there. I like it. All right. Now, Corey, the next game we're going to talk about a little bit more chaotic, but it also fits into a theme that I think we saw quite a bit during week three. And that is teams that we thought were good, not looking very good, especially against bad teams. Um, and we can argue the relative badness of their opponents throughout the, the next couple of games that we're going to talk about. But this one, again, back in your ACC neck of the woods, Florida State taking on Jeff Halfley's absolutely haphazard Boston College Eagles. Although the more you look at it, like they, they're 0-3, I believe, at this point. Or they're 1-2, no, they I believe. They, they barely they got Holy a win Cross. against Holy Cross. <laughs> yeah. But maybe they're not as bad as, as we thought uh, because they sure looked good against Florida State. Or I guess maybe just not as bad as we had expected them to be. So this was a, an interesting game. I think it was a combination of a couple things, one of which was a classic trap game for Florida State. Because coming up next week, this Saturday, Florida State is hosting or Florida State is playing Clemson in Death Valley. That is going to be a gigantic game. The Seminoles have a chance to give a death blow to the Tigers, knock them out of the ability to make the college football playoff. Please, please, please Florida State, just end Clemson. As an Ohio State guy, I just I can't stand Dabo. I just want them to go away. So I will be rooting for Florida State with all of my heart on Saturday. Yeah, it's gonna be a it, it it's gonna be a phenomenal game, and I assume that we'll be talking about this game next week. But Florida State, they've got this huge game coming up. And no one was really thinking that they would have any trouble with Boston College up in Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts. And yet, the Eagles came out well. They held Florida State pretty quietly in the first quarter. Only late in the second quarter did the Seminoles start to catch up. Then Florida State looked like they were going to pull away. Looked like, okay, they start out a little bit slow. But here comes the Seminoles, and that's going to be that. They go up 31-10. to 10, And then from there... The Boston College defense steps up, Florida State sort of resting on their laurels, and the BC Eagles go on a 19 to nothing run. They bring this to a two-point game and a chance to get the ball back in the final minutes of regulation, except on third down, they what should have been a stop to get Boston College the ball back with a chance to win it with a field goal. They get a face mask penalty. And not only was that just one penalty, Boston College in this game had 18 penalties for a combined 131 yards. So on one hand, you credit Jeff Halfley for getting the talent and getting his team up to play Florida State so close and to give them a great challenge. But on the other hand, 18 penalties, that comes down to discipline, that comes down to coaching. And Jeff Halfley, 
not making a case for him to stay in that job beyond this season. Absolutely brutal for Boston College. They could have had a monumental upset. Castellanos, the starting quarterback for Boston College, he had a great game, 20 for 33, 305 yards through the air. And not to mention, he was also the Eagles' leading rusher with 95 yards on the ground, including one touchdown on the ground. He's just a sophomore. If they make a change at coach and they can keep him, I think Boston College could have a bright future in the next couple years. But right now, there's a team with talent, but at the top, Jeff Halfley, he is not long for that job. Boston College, close but no cigar as they lose 31-29. to and what I thought was most interesting about this game was the fact that Boston College really shut down Jordan Travis, who I thought a week or at least two weeks ago coming out of the LSU game. And I know that was only week one, but like I thought he was a Heisman Trophy candidate, front yeah. runner. Uh, but he was 16 of 24, which is fine. It's 67% completion percentage, but only for 212 yards, two touchdowns. Um, he did add 38 yards rushing, but like you expect more against a team that almost lost a Holy Cross last week. Like, that's not what you would expect from any offense, let alone an offense that has national title aspirations, and especially a quarterback who thinks that they could, who we think could be a Heisman Trophy winner. So, was really flummoxed by that game. Jeff Halfley is the former defensive coordinator at Ohio State. We were very upset when he left Columbus. Um, maybe he'll be an analyst for us next year because uh, I don't think he's going to be the head coach in, uh, in Chestnut Hill. But 18 penalties, that is chaotic, Corey. So, what is your chaos rating for FSU BC. Yeah, I'm curious if, if everyone at Ohio State will welcome him back with open arms because, as I said, I don't think he's going to be at Boston College too much longer. They gave it their best shot, and Florida State was caught off guard, but ultimately, not quite. Uh, when it comes to chaos, the 18 penalties it came close at the end. It's not incredibly high, one, because Boston College wasn't able to win it, but also they weren't really in position to win it. If they got the ball back, then we would have been on the edge of our seats watching to see if they can get there. But they just didn't. But they had they 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 could have. They had that punt at the end of the game yeah. that the Florida State uh, punt returner decided not to, to field, and then it bounced off his leg, and it went out of bounds, so they got to keep possession. But if Boston College could have scooped that up. I mean, they pretty much go into that, you know, the last couple minutes of that game with a chance to win because they were only down two. They could have kicked the field. They would have already been in field goal range. So it's like a chaotic bounce of the oblong ball really might have been the difference between whether or not Boston College goes home one and two or gets to have an absolutely huge upset on their home field and everybody's storming it. That so uh, I, to me, that's chaotic. That's chaotic. It, it was pretty chaotic. It just was, it kept hoping, can Boston College do it? Can this come down where you're just on the edge of your seat? And it almost got there and it never quite did. I'm going to go with a 68. So not quite as high as I went with Colorado, Colorado State. But I think it's still, still solid chaos rating. Yeah, that one's good. Um, my next game, I don't think it's going to be nearly as chaotic but it is something that is similar to this game. Uh, I'm going to look at Georgia and South Carolina. There was no crazy finish. There was no, you know, 61 yard field goal on this. But South Carolina took a took a 14 to three lead into halftime against the two time defending national champion. Now Georgia didn't score its first touchdown until 2:40 into the third quarter, and they ended up going on to win 24 to 14. But what I think is most chaotic about this, Corey, is not necessarily the action in terms of 
what happened on the field, which was interesting. And I was kind of watching this as a second screen, hoping that the Gamecocks can pull this off because that would just be fun. But what I think is, is most chaotic about this game is what does this say about the college football season? Pretty much everybody that we thought might be really great this year has had flaws in the early quarter of the season. Everybody is obviously chasing Georgia. They're the number one team in the country. They're the two-time defending national champions. But if they're struggling with South Carolina, what does that mean for everybody else? If they're not the number one team in the country, who is? Are there any great teams? Now, in fairness, Georgia had a couple of games like these last year, and they were fine. I was just going to say that, yeah. They, they, they had the Kent State game last year. They Missouri, were fine. Missouri, I, yep. yeah. So, like, I'm not saying that they're not a good team. But if this is more emblematic of who they are this season, because it's the first time they've played anybody with a pulse all year. So I do wonder what this means about the rest of college football. If George is not the team that everyone's chasing, who is? Maybe we'll find out more this week because we've got seven huge matchups. But Florida State struggling with Boston College. Georgia struggling with South Carolina. We're going to talk later on about Texas struggling with my with Wyoming. Like these teams that have all had big wins in the season or came in as the defending national champions, not looking great through three or four games. So I think that is chaotic for what it means to the rest of college football, even if the game itself, as boring and kind of shocking as it was, wasn't actually chaotic in itself. And look, here on the fourth quarter chaos, we love a wide open field. We don't just want this to be who can take down Georgia because they're by far and away the best team. We love a wide open race because it could be Georgia. It could be Texas. It could be Florida State. could be one of a couple teams in the Big Ten. It, we, we really have no idea, and, and that's exciting because most years there are one, maybe two teams that have a realistic shot at winning a national championship. This year I think there's quite a few. So I, I do really enjoy that. Now, it still end up could end up just being Georgia because, as you said, this happened last year. They struggle in a couple games. Ultimately, they're fine. Same thing with Florida State. Maybe they're shaky, but maybe it was just one bad game against Boston College that they kind of overlooked, and they're going to look incredible against Clemson and be one of the top teams. So it's so tough to gauge with one or even two games, especially when it's a team that they might have overlooked, whereas that won't be the case when it comes to conference championship week, when it comes to the playoff, where you're not overlooking anyone. You're not going to be caught off guard. So on one hand, I do think that it's fairly still wide open, but I'm also willing to give Georgia the benefit of the doubt that they can have one or two off games and still be a phenomenal team. That said, I'm still kind of in wait and see mode when it comes to Carson Beck. I don't know if he's going to reach the levels of Stetson Bennett, the fourth coming soon to a car dealership near you. So we'll see. (laughs) Yeah. Carson Beck went 27 of 35, good completion percentage, 77%, but only for 269 yards passing, which when you look at an offense like Georgia and a team with that much talent, if you were, you know, you're only averaging less than 10 yards per completion and just barely. So um, that's not great. Um, It's not bad, but it's not great. He had no wide receiver over 71 yards. Now he distributed it fairly well, but it's a team that needs to figure some stuff out, especially as they dive in to the SEC. But even though they are in the SEC, they've got a pretty easy schedule. If you can stack it up against anybody in the SEC this year, I, I would say that they probably have the easiest schedule. Now, it's partially easier because they don't have to play themselves. Um, and that was always one of those things when you at Ohio State, you look at, oh, the Big Ten's not very good because Ohio State's strength of schedule isn't, isn't that good. 
Well, yeah, because Ohio State was clearly for a lot of years the number one team in the uh, in the conference, and they didn't have to play themselves. So uh, that is part of it. But they've got a fairly decent cakewalk, um, especially when you you think maybe Tennessee has a shot, and then they got shellacked by Florida this weekend. So. We'll have to wait and see. I, I'm not going to go with a super high chaos rating on this one just because I think the, the biggest chaos is outside of the game itself and everything that a bad, you know, an, an underperforming Georgia team might be. But I'm going to go, I'm going to go with a 40, um, half of the Colorado, Colorado State game. So I think that's fair. Um, I think when you package it with this next game, which is similar to the Florida State, Georgia, and Texas games this week, um, but a little different because Alabama has already lost one game. But they struggled again with South Florida. There were times when I thought South Florida was going to pull it off, Corey. Uh, they didn't end up doing that. But another one where Nick Saban uh, has to not be loving what he's seeing from his Crimson Tide team this year. No, and USF, they're not a good football team. I'm sorry to say. This is not a a group of five team that is underrated, that can really bring it to top teams. They lost in week one to Western Kentucky, and it wasn't even close. So th- this is, they're just, the Bulls are just not good this year. Alabama should have had no trouble beating them in Tampa, and yet they did. Now, this is in large part because this quarterback carousel is happening right now with Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide. They just don't know who the guy is. So they tried Tyler Buckner. He's just not it. They, they went with him. Then they went with Ty Simpson, a freshman, five-star recruit. He looked solid, was able to put the game away for them. For a freshman, he's solid. They didn't even play Jalen Milrow, who was their starting quarterback, but then was benched after the game against Texas. Not exactly clear why. Some There were some reports that Nick Saban didn't like his attitude following the loss. It's not exactly clear. However, after the USF yeah, however, game, he just named him the starter again. Yeah. So <laughs> I think that might be just out of desperation is because – Buckner is not the guy. Simpson, you didn't see a ton out of him. He is just a freshman, so you want to go with someone a little bit more proven, Jalen Milrow. But Alabama, 17 points. If not for the phenomenal play of Roydell Williams, their running back, they would have been in deep trouble. Now, the Bama defense is still good. They did only allow three points. Again, USF, not a prolific offense. But the Bama defense did what they had to do. But their offense, I said I was in wait-and-see mode when it comes to Carson Beck. I am in full wait and see mode when it comes to Alabama and their quarterback situation. I don't know if Jalen Milrow is the guy, but he's going to have to be because as you said, Alabama already lost to Texas. They have no room for error. If they lose one more, they are done. And this could have been a really ugly loss against South Florida. It was an ugly game, but things just do not look right for the Crimson Tide this year. So, as we go into this one, what is your chaos rating for Alabama 17, South Florida 3? It's it's pretty low. I would say you had the Georgia game at a 40. I would say this is about a 30 because unlike okay. Georgia, there's not even the opening of, oh, well, maybe Georgia's weak. We kind of know that Alabama's weak. They lost to Texas. We know that they're probably not going to have a good shot at the national championship this year. So this was just an ugly game with a powerhouse program looking week but still not much excitement. So I'll just go with 30. All right. Fair enough. Uh, The next game that I'm going to talk about is one that seems to have the stench of an entire state on it. 
because we know that the Iowa Hawkeyes are offensively challenged, although they did score 41 points this week. So congratulations to Brian Ferentz. But this one is between Ohio and Iowa State. The score ended up being a total of 17 points. So I'm not going to talk a ton about everything that happened throughout the game, but I am going to take you to the 7 minute and 27 second mark in the fourth quarter. The Bobcats of Ohio at home, Iowa State traveled to Athens to play the Bobcats. Uh, Ohio was up 10-0. Iowa State lines up for a 37-yard field goal. That is something that every uh, Power 5, Big 12 kicker should be able to make. And Chase Contreras kicks the ball. It's high. It's deep. It looks good, except for it's, it's, it's signaled as no good. Okay, fine. No good kick. They go back. They're still down 10. They can still play it. But the replays of this field goal, Corey, make it look like it was in. The problem is that the ball was actually too high and it went over the the uprights. So one, the angle, because it was from the middle of the goalposts and it's looking up, might be creating a bit of an optical illusion. So you can't actually be 100% sure if it went in. The guys on the broadcast, and this just frustrates the hell out of me. They were talking about, well, why aren't we reviewing this? We should be looking at this. Why do they not signal down to look at this? Even after the commercial break, which there's one like every 30 seconds in college football now this year, nobody told them you can't review that because the ball went over the uprights. It was too high to go actually between the goalposts. It is not reviewable for that very reason, because it's too high. You can't actually tell if it was inside or not. So it is just by rule, not reviewable. So one, Chaotic because they missed a field goal that may have been in, may not have been in. Uh, and then also chaotic because the horrible announcers couldn't even, A, bother to Google the rule in, in during the timeout. But didn't I knew that. I'm a nobody. I'm an idiot. I don't know anything about football. And I knew that that was a rule. So um, I feel bad for Iowa State. They ended up losing 10 to 7. So who knows? I mean, the, the, the butterfly effect, if they would have actually gotten that field goal who knows what happens after that but a three-point loss with a suspect missed field goal does suck it's a little chaotic um and uh it was frustrating both as you know just somebody watching the game and i'm not in any way shape or form uh an iowa state fan by any means but it was a mess it was certainly a mess Corey. yeah first of all can we talk about can we have a discussion about what we're doing when it comes to football and the the arbitrary nature of so much of this stuff. Can we have higher field goal posts? Can we put a chip in the ball like they do it at tennis matches where you can tell yeah, you have the Hawkeye, the soccer, and you have VAR. Something to be able to tell, oh, was his was his knee where was the ball when his knee hit the ground? Where was the ball when it was just right above the 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 upright. I don't know. It just feels like with a sport that has so much money, why are we still just guessing so much? Well, the one thing I'll say is like, where do you put the chip? Because you can get the nose of the ball on the goal line, but if the chip's in the middle, it's going to say it's not in. So I, yeah, I, I hear where you're coming from. I'm a big proponent of, of robot umpires calling balls and strikes in baseball because human umpires suck at calling balls and strikes in baseball. Let the humans 
call, you know, first base, second base, third base, even let him call home plate on plays at the plate. That's fine. But give me somebody who doesn't suck calling balls and strikes because let's be honest, most of the human umpires are not very good. Um, And I know they get like 92% of the, of the calls, right. Or whatever. That's 8% where they screw it up. Yeah. And that's not a good percentage. Um, and to be fair, but, we know that the technology works for baseball in terms of calling balls and strikes. I have no idea if there's technology out there when it comes to football yeah. and where it is. I'm not a STEM guy. I have no idea. I'm just saying if it can be done for soccer and tennis, I know they're round balls. You have to think <laughs> that there's something in there to do it with football. So we're not guessing, but that's just a weird tangent. Yeah. Um, chaos rating here. I, not a huge one because most of the game was boring. But uh, I do think the ending, or I guess it wasn't even ending, it was the middle of the fourth quarter, but that field goal, I, I think it's pretty chaotic. So I'm going to go with a uh, with a 47 on this one. Um, again, not huge, but I think something that is interesting and the announcers made it a little bit more chaotic by not knowing what the hell they were talking about. That's always a, a solid addition when the announcers get involved in the chaos rating. Can, can we also talk about the fact that like most play-by-play and color guys suck no offense Corey, because i know you are a, a play-by-play I, I person for field, most yeah. for for most of everything that happens in philadelphia but like the ones we see on tv why are they all so bad i won't say much but i will say okay. that if any of the networks want to hire me uh i <laughs> i am happy and willing to take that call Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, All right, so let's move on to the next game. I know nothing about this game other than the final score. I did not watch it. I did not see it at all. Tell me about Wake Forest and Old Dominion. Yeah, this game was absolutely thrilling. This is another game, like a couple that we mentioned earlier. It was not on our rating, uh, not on our radar earlier, but it certainly delivered. Old Dominion becoming a do not schedule no matter what program. And that is a testament to the way that they play. They're way up there with App State, where if I'm a college football program, in no way, shape, or form am I going to schedule this team because they are going to give me a problem. Old Dominion had the first three scores in this game. They go into halftime up 17-0 on a Wake Forest team that was undefeated. They were coming in 2-0, including a Power 5 victory against Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt, you know, barely power five, but still it counts. And they're down 17, nothing at the half. Then uh, at one point, Wake was down 24 to seven and everyone thought it was over. Now, part of that score, I have to give a massive amount of credit to two huge plays from Lamarion James. He had an 80 yard scoop and score touchdown, and then he had a pick six, two defensive touchdowns for the same player in one game absolutely bonkers old dominion goes up 24 to 7 and then wake forest somehow scores 20 unanswered points courtesy of an air raid offense they nearly had a scoop and score it just it was amazing what old dominion was able to do in the first section of that game through uh just about almost three quarters and then late in the third quarter wake forest starts to turn it on they have the last four scores of the game including two touchdowns and uh old dominion actually did have a chance late in the game to go and and have a game-winning drive the wake forest defense did step up they didn't allow any points past the seven minute mark in the third quarter and even that was a defensive score from lamarion james so 
the the Wake Forest defense did their job for much of this game. The offense struggled for a good chunk of it, uh, and Wake Forest pulls out a victory, twenty seven to twenty four. Huge credit to Old Dominion though, and Lamarion James. My goodness, what a day he had! So, what is your chaos rating for uh, Wake and ODU? For this one, I'm going to give it the highest score of the weekend. For me, oh. I'm going to give it an 82. Uh, those 82. two plays, absolutely bonkers. And the fact that it was the same guy, crazy. And that Old Dominion was this close to upsetting Wake Forest. I know Wake isn't a powerhouse, but Old Dominion, that is a fun team to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to go back to... My neck of the woods, the the Midwest, although I don't live in the Midwest anymore, um, and talk about two teams that border my home state of Ohio and who just played an awful football game this weekend. I'm going to talk about Louisville and Indiana. Bad football. Just bad football. It's just bad football. And I'm talking about it because of how bad Indiana was at executing a, a, a drive in which they could have given themselves an opportunity to win with six minutes and 14 seconds left in the game. The score is Louisville 21, Indiana 14. The Hoosiers have the ball on the five. It is, it is first and goal from the five, but before they can actually even run a play, they get a false start. So it pushes them back. So a good big 10 team. What do you do on first down? It's first and goal from the 10. Now, essentially you run it up the middle, gets them to the seven. On second down, they run it up a middle again. They lose one. So it's now third and goal from the eight. So on third down, they drop back to pass. Quarterback can't find anybody. He scrambles, goes to the to the right sideline. He's running down the right sideline. He dives. He does the thing. My mouse is the football. He boop, touches the pylon for the corner. Everyone thinks it's a touchdown, except for he gets whistled out of bounds at the two. However, he didn't step out of bounds at the two. On replay, they decide that he did not step out, but his knee hit on like the six inch mark when the, or the his knee hit when the ball was on the six inch mark. And so they bring it back. They give him a fourth down from like six inches, a foot. It's nothing. Indiana being Indiana down 21 to 14, four minutes and 43 seconds within a half yard of tying the game. What do they do? They've run it up the middle again. They lose yardage, and that's essentially the game, Corey. It's it's horrific play calling from Tom Allen's team. It, it just kind of encapsulates everything that is the IU football program right now. Louisville's not great. Jeff Brom's their, their coach, former Purdue uh, coach, so a little bit of a rivalry there from him, I guess, but just really bad. The, the Hoosiers actually had an opportunity to get the ball back. Louisville was driving. They were trying to run out the clock, but they had two third-down conversions. One, I think, was nine yards. One of them was five. And Indiana just couldn't get them off the field. So they had a chance to even get the ball back and win. But IU is just IU. And I guess Tom Allen's probably on his way out the door after this season. But uh, pretty embarrassing run of plays from from there. So so not ideal. Not ideal. But um, chaos rating-wise, I'll probably put it in the... Uh, let's see. I gave I gave... Georgia, uh, South Carolina, 40. I think I'll go a little bit higher than that, and I'll, I'll go 42 here because it actually was had some chaotic stuff. It wasn't just a bad game. 
Can I actually amend my Wake Forest one? I think. Yes, 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 please. Yeah, I, the more that I thought about it, Colorado, Colorado State went to double overtime. I can't have it higher than that. So I'm going to knock okay. it down a few points. Give me like a 75 for Wake Forest Old Dominion. Okay. All right. Fair enough. All right. Next up is the team that you cover on the Pit Talk Network. It's the Backyard Brawl. <sighs> I wasn't going to make you talk about this. This is a game that you volunteered to talk about. I did. But West Virginia and Pitt, tell me all about it. Well, it was the return of the Backyard Brawl in Morgantown. It returned last year in Pittsburgh. This time it was down in West Virginia. It was a lot to be excited about. Apparently the atmosphere was great. There was no violence or aggression or anything when it comes to the fans, so you'd love to hear that. This is a rivalry that should exist between both fan bases. No one should have to fear when going into the other's territory, and by all accounts, no one did. So I loved hearing that. That was the last bit of good news when it comes to pit football because, oh my God, Phil Jerkovic gave the worst performance I have ever seen from a player on a football field, I think, in my entire life. It was absolutely atrocious. He was 8 for 20, 81 yards, three interceptions, no touchdowns. But that doesn't even begin to tell the story of Phil Jerkovic. First of all, the offense run by Frank Signetti barely passed the ball against a horrid West Virginia defensive back uh, system. West Virginia came into the game 111th in pass defense in the country and pit through the ball 10 times in the first three quarters. Why? Because they didn't trust Phil Jerkovic because Phil Jerkovic cannot throw the ball. He His adjusted completion percentage was the worst of any quarterback against West Virginia since 2015. His QBR was the second worst against West Virginia among any quarterback since 2015. It was absolutely bonkers against a bad West Virginia secondary that Pitt's offense wasn't able to do a thing because Phil Jerkovic couldn't pass the ball at all. He couldn't pass the ball down the field. He couldn't pass the ball to a three-yard flat. There were multiple moments where he ended the game. He killed all momentum, and he just broke Pitt's back with a stupid interception. The first interception was two plays after Pitt had a forced fumble and recovery against West Virginia. Now the momentum's on Pitt's side. Two plays later, Phil Jerkovic throws it right to a Mountaineer for an interception. Then the second interception. He has his running back about 10 yards down the field, wide open for a first down, who can go and get maybe another 20 yards. He has a receiver named Bub Means down at the 15-yard line with no one behind him. That is a walk-in touchdown. He actually does see it, and he tries to throw it there, but with his atrocious mechanics, he doesn't get it to the West Virginia 15. He gets it to the West Virginia 30, where there is no Pit Panther in sight, but there is a Mountaineer who intercepts it, brings it back, and that was essentially the death blow for the Pitt Panthers. And then just to cap it off on the final play, he threw another interception. Phil Jerkovic is the college football equivalent of Ben Simmons. I don't know what happened. There was some talent there at a certain point, but it's gone now. He cannot play quarterback anymore. He is done. He is cooked. And I don't. This isn't even so much about him. This is about the coaching staff being so stubborn that they refuse to make a change. They refuse to admit that the transfer quarterback they brought in is not the guy and make a change to one of the backups that they have. It boggles my mind how they put him in there after the week two game against Louisville that he lost because the offense was inept because he couldn't throw the ball to anyone within target. 
and they lost a winnable game against West Virginia. This could be a 3-0 and team with a decent quarterback, and instead they are 1-2, and and the season is done. Phil Jerkovic should not take another snap in a Pitt Panthers uniform, and the coaches, just inexcusable, still playing him in the full game against Cincinnati in Week 2, the full game, a rivalry game against West Virginia. Both games were winnable, and still they go with their stubbornness over the right call and uh, just absolutely horrid performance. West Virginia wins 17-6. to The pit offense was pathetic. Do you feel better, Corey? I do feel better. And that is now the third <laughs> podcast that I've gone on a rant because you can listen to me on the Pit Talk Network. You can listen to me right here on this FFSN College Football feed on Action Packed. So I've gotten it out of my system three times, and every time it's cathartic. All right, good. I, I mean this as a compliment, so please take it as such. But has anyone ever told you that when you go on rants like that, you remind me a lot of Stugatz? Uh <laughs> The the, the the cadence, the voice, uh, one of my favorites. Love me, love me some good some good Stugats, but a uh, little Stugatsiness in there, which I think can only help you in your broadcasting career because he I'll is a legend. It. He's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I'll yeah. take it. I like what they're cooking down there in Miami. Yeah. All right. So chaos rating. What do you got? Uh, well, West Virginia does have the last laugh in the game. They get the victory. The Mountaineers win. But I'm a pit guy. I can't talk about this game and the embarrassment that it was. And by the way, credit to West Virginia. They got the win, and Mm -hmm. Pitt looked horrible. That said, I can't leave a conversation about the backyard brawl without mentioning the good score. I'm going to give this a chaos rating of 13.9. And any backyard brawl fans going back to the the early aughts will know 13.9. So that is going to be my rating. I know we don't normally do decibels, decimals, but... I'm going to go 13.9. We can do whatever we want. I mean, this is all about chaos. I wanted to do our scale out of 13. You you insisted on 100. I wanted to do it out of 13 because I thought that was more chaotic. But um, we're going to wrap up our 10 games for this week with another one that is kind of one of those games that's emblematic of the entire weekend. Texas did beat Wyoming 31 to 10. However, it was 10 to 10 going into the fourth quarter. Quinn Ewers, who was the hero of the game in Tuscaloosa last week as they beat the Alabama Crimson Tide, was just 11 for 21 against the Wyoming Cowboys for 131 yards and two touchdowns, a 52% completion percentage against Wyoming. You talked about there being a trap game coming up this week, uh, or it was this past week for Florida State against um, which team today? Oh, yeah, against Boston College because they're playing Clemson. This week, uh, perhaps this was a letdown game for the Longhorns coming after Alabama because they just looked awful. Um, if it wasn't for Jonathan Brooks, who ran for 164 yards on 21 carries, they might not have been able to beat Wyoming. Of course, they did turn it on, had three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. But you can't beat Texas, beat Alabama on the road. Perhaps the biggest win in the program's last five years, last 10 years, maybe. I don't you know, maybe someone who actually follows Texas can remind me of a bigger win, but like that was probably their biggest win and, and that I can think of, but then to follow it up with a, with a game where they were, you know, within uh, a possibility of losing to Wyoming into the fourth quarter is, is kind of unacceptable uh, for Sark, but that's a very Texas thing to do. You know, they have had good wins against teams over the years and then lost to teams that they shouldn't. So we'll see if that's what Texas is going to be like. Maybe this is a wake up call. Who knows? But 
I'm not going to give it a huge chaos rating because this was more just like a crappy performance. So I'll 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 go in with a 26. Um, actually, you know what? No, I'll make it a 27.8 to double up your uh, WVU <laughs> pit score. Um, not a huge chaos rating, but a game that like again it defines kind of what this weekend was all about, Corey. So that will give us a total chaos score for week three of the college football season of 487.7. That is well behind um, both week one and week two. Week one, still our leader in the clubhouse at, mm, yeah, 555 points. Uh, I think we'll beat that at some point. It might be this weekend, Corey. As you're looking at the schedule, I'm going to throw mine out first. I'm going to let you go first, but I want to pick this one. I don't want you to take it from me. The game that I think it might be the most chaotic is one that's happening at seven o'clock in prime time between two ranked teams, but it's not the one that involves my alma mater. All right. I am going with the game that's on Fox out in Pullman, Washington. I am going with the number 14, Oregon state Beavers, number 21, Washington state Cougars Um, on another show here in the uh, fans First sports network, college football feed, uh, the fame and fortune and everything that goes with the podcast where we talk about the college football playoff and the Heisman trophy to both of the quarterbacks from this game. I have mentioned about being potential Heisman dark horse uh, candidates in Cameron Ward, the quarterback from Wazoo and DJ Uyunglele, the quarterback from Oregon state. Uh, DJ, you did not have a great game last weekend, so he's kind of fallen off of our rankings there, but Cameron Ward has been added. I think both of these guys have the opportunity to have really great games. And I think it would just be, absolutely brilliant if one of these two teams won the Pac-12 in its final year of existence when they were the only teams left in the big tw- in the Pac-12. Um, so I'm going to be watching this on a second screen because obviously Ohio State Notre Dame will be playing at the same time and I'll be covering that one. But I think this game could be really exciting. So if you're not sure of where to tune in at night, obviously Ohio State Notre Dame, two blue bloods, two top 10 teams, probably a really good game. But Oregon State and Washington State, like I think that could be really exciting too. So uh, I'm looking forward to that one and, and uh, going from there. But anyway, all right. So what do you have, Corey? Um, that's a fun you... pick. That that's a really yeah, fun. pick. I love that one. That there's look. This week is going to be incredible. There are so many great matchups mm-hmm. that I'm looking forward to. You're going to start it off right at 12 noon. Florida State versus Clemson, a heavyweight battle in the ACC. The Seminoles have a chance to knock out Clemson. Clemson can turn around their season with a victory at home. That should be amazing. Then at 3.30, you've got a few excellent games. Alabama versus Ole Miss. Again, another chance Ole Miss can knock out Alabama. Lane Kiffin's former boss and Nick Saban. That could be exciting. UCLA versus Utah. That's another ranked first-ranked matchup. Colorado-Oregon also on at the same time. And then at night, as you said, Oregon State-Washington State. I do love the battle Although I'm actually really excited to see how those two teams play against other Pac-12 teams because we saw what Washington State did against Wisconsin, a Big Ten team, the conference that rated Washington, their in-state rivals, and left Wazoo for dead. And they handled Wisconsin, and it meant so much to them. In this case, it's going to be interesting because 
these are the two teams left standing and they have kind of a, a friendship at this point, this alliance of these, the two teams left behind. So I don't know if there's going to be that chaos, the bad blood that can lead to some chaos, but it will be exciting. And I'm with you. I'm rooting for one of those two teams to win the PAC 12 this year. If it's at all feasible, then of course, prime time, Ohio state, Notre Dame, that's the game of the week. Without a doubt, it's going to be thrilling. We've all been waiting to see what Ohio state can do against the top team. They did play Indiana in week one, but so much of it is still unknown. This is going to be a great test. Penn State versus Iowa, also at 7.30. I think that's going to be kind of ugly. I'm not looking forward to watching Iowa's yeah. offense. So no, that, that game, I don't think it's going to be chaotic. I think it's just going to be ugly, and Penn State should win easily. I will go back to a game at 3.30. I'm going to keep it in the Pacific Northwest, a game I mentioned briefly, Colorado versus Oregon. Anytime you've got Dion involved, there's going to be some chaos and some primetime action there. Shador Sanders, he has been so much fun to watch. And then on Oregon's end, I think they've been overlooked. I think they might take that personally. They've been sort of outshined in the Pac-12 by Colorado, by USC. Meanwhile, Oregon's usually the flashy program, and here they are sort of coming in third place. I think Oregon's got a chip on their shoulder. They've got a lot to prove. Bo Nix, we've seen some chaos out of him. He's now the quarterback for the Ducks. I think that game could be wildly chaotic. I know it's a 21-point spread. I have no idea how it Ooh. is 21 points of this, uh, at this point. But I think Colorado can give them a fight. I don't think Oregon's necessarily going to run away with this. I think that game could be thrilling, despite that line, which when I saw that just shocked me. We saw what happens when Colorado is a massive underdog to TCU. I think Oregon is a better team than TCU. Uh, TCU lost a ton of talent from their national runners-up last year. But we'll see what happens. I, I think Dion knows how to motivate his guys, and being that big of an underdog in a conference game very well might be enough to kind of get them amped to take on the Ducks. So we will see whatever games are super chaotic this week. I can promise you we will talk about them next week here on the Fourth Quarter Chaos Podcast. If you want to follow Fans First Sports Network, you can do that on social media at fans first sn you can follow me at bww matt if you're watching uh which why aren't you uh you can see that Corey's handle is Corey e cohen um if you're not watching i just told it to you so you can follow him now um Corey, i i wish you the best in pitt's resuscitation hopefully they give you something to root for the rest of this college football season. Who knows? Uh, Maybe they have a massive chaotic upset against Drake May and the Tar Heels this week. I highly doubt it, but who knows? And if not, Pitt being bad just allows me more time to watch some <laughs> other phenomenal matchups. So, yeah, I'll I, I will tell you, Drake May throws a lot of interceptions. He's great, but throws a lot of interceptions. Anything could happen. Anything, Anything could happen, happen on so. that end of the ball. I don't think Pitt's offense is going to score a touchdown, but we'll there see. you go. Maybe maybe it'll be a bunch of pick sixes. I'll be watching that? your yeah, we'll see. I'll be watching your team's game without a doubt, though. All right, sounds good. All right, everybody, thank you for listening. Have a great rest of your week, and we will talk to you. Assuming I can stay up late enough to actually record at some point on Sunday.